an apostle. Not from men nor through man, but through Jesus Christ and God the Father who raised him from the dead. And all the brothers who are with me to the churches of Galatia. Grace to you and peace from God our Father and the Lord Jesus Christ who gave himself for our sins to deliver us from the present evil age according to the will of our God and Father to whom be the glory forever and ever. Amen. I am astonished that you are so quickly deserting him who called you in the grace of Christ and are turning to a different gospel. Not that there is another one, but there are some who trouble you and want to distort the gospel of Christ. But even if we or an angel from heaven should preach to you a gospel contrary to the one we preach to you, let him be accursed. As we have said before, so now I say again, if anyone is preaching to you a gospel contrary to the one you received, let him be accursed. For am I now seeking the approval of man or of God? Or am I trying to please man? If I were still trying to please man, I would not be a servant of Christ. For I would have you know, brothers, that the gospel that was preached by me is not man's gospel. For I did not receive it from any man, nor was I taught it, but I received it through the revelation of Jesus Christ. For you have heard of my former life in Judaism, how I persecuted the church of God violently and tried to destroy it. And I was advancing in Judaism beyond many of my own age among my people. So extremely zealous was I for the traditions of my fathers. But when he who had set me apart before I was born and who called me by his grace was pleased to reveal his son to me in order that I might preach him among the Gentiles, I did not immediately consult with anyone. Nor did I go up to Jerusalem to those who were apostles before me. But I went into Arabia and returned again to Damascus. Then after three years, I went up to Jerusalem to visit Cephas and remained with him 15 days. But I saw none of the other apostles except James, the Lord's brother. What I am writing to you before God, I do not lie. Then I went into the regions of Syria and Cilicia. And I was still unknown in person to the churches of Judea that are in Christ. They only were hearing it and said, He who used to persecute us is now preaching the faith he once tried to destroy. And they glorified God because of me. As far as the reading of God's word, I invite you to keep the scriptures open this morning. Let's bow in prayer once again. Dear Lord, we pray that your spirit will touch our hearts in a way that we will be drawn closer to you through the reading and preaching of the word. In Jesus' name we pray, amen. Amen. I want to divide this message into two main parts. I I think the the passage leads us to do that. Um, First of all, the coming of the gospel, and secondly, the call of the gospel. Paul, Paul here is talking about how the gospel came to him and how that gospel called him. And then we'll follow that up on the back as well with the application of that to us this morning as well. Three things that Paul is telling us about the coming of the gospel. How how did Paul get the message of the gospel? Where did that message of Christ dying, of Christ crucified, 
that we are saved by grace, that we are justified by grace through faith in Christ alone, where did that message come from? Paul says, first of all, it came from no man. I would have you know, verse 11, brothers, that the gospel that was preached by me is not man's gospel. Paul wants us to know that the source of where the gospel came from in his life is not from man. Now, why is he telling us that? Because this also is part of the defense. I have told you in weeks past that, that there are two attacks going on in these churches of Galatia. The one attack, the central attack, is on the doctrine of justification by faith in Christ alone. That's what's under attack. But to attack the gospel, these false teachers are attacking the one who brought them the gospel, meaning the Apostle Paul. So in these various churches, there are these false teachers who are going around with the goal of destroying justification by faith alone. These false teachers know that Paul was there. They know he is the missionary. He, they know that these people who are members of these churches in the province of Galatia came under Paul's preaching. They know the gospel that Paul preached. To get them to change their belief, they have to undermine Paul. And the claim is that Paul is one, no apostle, and that Paul has no revelation of the gospel. So Paul's first defense here against these false teachers is to say, look, the gospel that I came to you with, the gospel that I preached to you, that you, by the Holy Spirit, believed and accepted, was not a gospel that came from men. In other words, I didn't get it by education. Nobody taught me this gospel. I was Jewish. I was steeped in Judaism. I was the Pharisee of the Pharisees. I was a legalistic law keeper. I was one who was actually on the, in a sense, on the side of these false teachers. I was the one who previously was proclaiming, you have to obey the law. The reason I hated the church, the reason I hated believers, the reason I hated Christ is because in my Judaism, I believe that Christ was the heretic. Now you say to me, well, where did that gospel come from? Well, you just learned it from some men. Paul's like, and from who would that be? How could I have learned this gospel from men when you understand my background? When you understand who I am? When you understand my upbringing? When you understand my education? I was not educated in the gospel. The gospel did not come by man. It came by revelation. For I, verse 12, did not receive it from any man, nor was I taught it, but I received it through a revelation of Jesus Christ. The message of the gospel that Paul has been preaching 
is directly from Christ. Say, well, where does that occur? Well, we would go back to Acts chapter 9. This is what Paul is referencing. This is what Paul is saying. Let's go back to that text a moment. Acts chapter 9. Paul is on his way to Damascus. He's still a Jew. He's still a Pharisee. He's persecuting the church. Look at how one starts. But Saul, still breathing threats and murder against the disciples of the Lord, went to the high priest, asked him for letters to the synagogues at Damascus so that if he found any belonging to the way, any Christian, men or women, he might bring them bound to Jerusalem. Now as he was on the way, he approached Damascus and suddenly a light from heaven shone around him. And falling to the ground, he heard a voice saying to him, Saul, Saul, why are you persecuting me? He said, who are you, Lord? And he said, I am Jesus, whom you are persecuting. But rise and enter the city, and you will be told what you are to do. The gospel comes to Paul. See, that's what he's saying. This revelation is directly from Jesus Christ. Now, what's interesting is you go through chapter 9, and, and Paul is directed, go to this guy, this guy on Straight Street, this guy by the name of Ananias. He goes to Ananias. What does Ananias do? Well, he tells him the gospel. No, all Ananias does is baptize him and remove the scales, the miracle. But nobody teaches Paul. See, what Paul is saying is this gospel of Christ crucified, that we are justified by faith alone. I received from Jesus Christ directly. He spoke to me. I'm not lying, Paul is saying. I'm telling you the truth. It came through the preaching of Jesus Christ. That's what Paul is saying. Christ himself preached the gospel to me. He taught me the way of salvation. He taught me that there is no other name given amongst men whereby we can be saved. He taught me that we are all depraved, sinful, Men incapable of any good. And that only by grace does God give faith in the finished work of Christ. That's my hope. Paul, in writing to the, to the Corinthians, speaks about this idea of preaching and he gives to us man's view and he says... Man looks at this preaching as foolishness. This is folly. We, we might use a, a more common word. Man sees preaching as stupid. It makes no sense. You go to most of the evangelical church world today. 
And in the evangelical broader church world, this portion of the service is one of the shortest. Why? Ah, nobody listens to preaching anymore. We've got to do more singing. We should do more praying. We should do more liturgical readings and so on. Paul says, no, it's through the foolishness of this means of preaching that the gospel comes to men. How shall they hear without the preacher? How shall they believe without someone preaching to them the good news? See, in man's view, this exercise of preaching is foolishness. In Scripture's view or in God's view, This is wisdom. God takes the most ineffective human means of communicating the gospel in order that he might receive the glory and the honor and praise. That it's not through the eloquency of men's speech, it's not through the eloquency and knowledge of men's minds that we persuade individuals. It is only through the work of the Holy Spirit. See, else would you not think, just stop and think about this. Think about somebody who you would proclaim as, as perhaps one of the greatest preachers of all time. Let's just say a Charles Spurgeon, for example. If, pre, if, if salvation came through the eloquence of preaching, would not every single person who heard a sermon of Spurgeon have been converted? But yet that doesn't happen. Why? Because it's not through the eloquence. It's not through the persuasion. It's through the Holy Spirit taking these words and using them in our hearts. That says, now that's wise. Why? Because then you will fully trust in me and not in man. Paul says, the gospel that I proclaim. See, that, that's being, that's, that's, that these false teachers are now arguing against. They're, they're trying to bring down that gospel. Paul says, that gospel came to me by revelation of Christ. It came to me through Christ preaching. This is the true gospel. What these men are bringing to you is a false gospel, a distortion of the gospel. They're trying to change that which came by direct revelation of Jesus Christ. The coming of the gospel by revelation through preaching. Secondly, then, is the call of the gospel. And I want to divide this in two parts. First of all, the call to Paul and then we'll switch to the backside of the sermon outline to us. But I think it's important we go through this section of Galatians. It seems like we're we're just there's a lot of words here and Paul's doing a lot of explanation. Why? Because Paul wants us and and he's trying to get the Galatians to understand his circumstances and the way in which God worked in his life to call him to go to be the missionary that went to Galatia, that went to the Gentiles. But there are some very, very, I think, interesting things 
that Paul relays to us that, that we don't find out in many other passages of Scripture about the life of Paul. First thing I want you to note about this call is that Paul sees this as from his birth. In fact, the words that Paul uses are, verse 15, he set me apart before I was born. What Paul wants these Galatians to understand and what we need to understand about ourselves is that God's plan and purpose for Paul was not a second thought. It's not like somewhere down about oh, 35, 36 A.D. that God said, you know, there's that guy, that Saul of Tarsus, he's maybe I can make use of him in some way. Let's convert him. What Paul is saying is this is not a momentary decision of God, but this has been the plan of God before Paul was even born, before Paul even breathed, before Paul even had a thought. God already had a plan and purpose for the existence of Paul upon this planet. So this call, of the gospel was before Paul's birth. And then Paul goes in to talk all about that background, right? Uh, about his Judaism and so on. And, and he's trying to tell us the fact that God had a purpose for my life and that these events of my life, this bringing up of my life, my background, was all part of God's preparation. God's plan was to use who I was, what I was, where I was, as part of his purpose. Did Paul know that at the time? No. At the time, Paul's telling us, I hated Christians. I hated believers. I didn't know God was going to use that. I believed you were saved through works of the law. I didn't know at the time God was going to use me as the one who would be the defender of being justified by faith and not works of the law. See, Paul has given us the, the backward perspective. Here he is. He's been on missionary journeys. He's been to Galatia twice. He's, he's been to not only Asia Minor. He's been to, to Thessalonica. He's been to Philippi. He's been to Athens. He's been to Corinth. And now as Paul looks back on his life, he's saying, God throughout my whole life, has been setting me apart, has been using my life in order that I might be used of him. God called me for my birth throughout my life in my conversion. Verse 16. Who called me by his grace and was pleased to reveal his son to me. 
That's what we read from Acts chapter 9. God was pleased to convert him. Changed his life. See, that's what we got to catch here. God converted Paul. Paul didn't convert himself. God converted him. God changed him. God worked that, that great work of repentance and faith, of repenting, of turning from, from that which Paul was, the persecutor of the church, the hater of Christ, to that which would be the lover of the church, the embracer of Christ. God converted. God changed Paul's life. And notice, Paul understands what his call was all about. Go look at verse 16 again. God was pleased to reveal his son to me in order that I might preach him among the Gentiles. Do you know how long it was before Paul did that? Get the time perspective. Here we are, we're on the road to Damascus. God converts Saul to Paul. Changes his life completely. With the understanding that Paul now has, the reason my life was turned was so that I would be the proclaimer of the gospel to the Gentiles. How much time is there between those two events? You know, if you look at the timetable that Paul gives us here, he says, well, you know, for three years I was in Arabia. Then I went up to Jerusalem for, for a few days, 15 days, but then I took off again. Look at chapter 2, verse 1. After 14 years. And you know what happens after 14 years? Paul finally becomes the missionary to the Gentiles. Add it up. 17 years between his conversion and his being commissioned by the church to go on his first missionary journey. 17 years. The guy wasn't a young guy to start with. But God has him wait 17 years. See, so often we think, you know, in our modern day, nope, right away, right away, it's got to happen right now, it's got to happen right now. And God says, no, 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 in my time. See, we don't, don't you kind of from, a, from the human perspective step back and say, well, God, didn't you waste a lot of time? I mean, you had this converted man's life. Why, why didn't you fling him out there? You know, why, why not after a year? Why not after two? Why not after three? What, why is it that you waited, the Lord, for 17 years before this man is finally commissioned to be a missionary to the Gentiles? Think of how many more people he could have won, Lord. Really? Really? Paul wins people to the Lord? I thought it was the Lord who won people to the Lord. 
So, so what is it if he waits the 17 years? The number of people that the Lord is going to draw to himself through the ministry of Paul is the same. Regardless if he waits 17 years, 5 years, 1 year, 1 day, or 40 years. It doesn't matter because the Lord's purpose is going to be worked out. Paul is simply the instrument. See, what, what ends up happening is there's almost a silence from Paul. There's a silence from his conversion to that, that meeting in which he is sent out, Barnabas, to go on that first missionary journey. 17 years. The book of Acts barely even mentions this. It just goes on with the story. 17 years. But they are not wasted years. It's not like Paul is not doing anything. Oh, he's not the commissioned missionary to the Gentiles going on some official enterprise with some sort of special designation that has been given to him by the church of Jerusalem to go out. Look with me at verse 23 and 24. I never was even in the churches of Judea, verse 22. They were only hearing it said, He who used to persecute us is now preaching the faith he once tried to destroy. And they glorified God because of me. What's going on? God is using Paul's changed life to proclaim the gospel. Gospel proclamation, yes, comes about through, through certain ordained perspectives and means within the church. But gospel proclamation, my friends, also takes place by changed lives. Paul, what happened to you? You used to persecute the church. Well, let me tell you, I was on the way to Damascus and Jesus Christ revealed himself to me. Well, what did he reveal your, your, himself as? That he is the Lord and that there is salvation in no one else. That all our sins are forgiven us in and through his work upon the cross, Christ crucified. That's what I preach. What happened? People are glorifying God because of Paul. His changed life is that which is bringing people to lift up praises. People he's never spoken to. People he's never met are hearing about Paul's changed life. The gospel of grace, justified by faith in Christ alone. The gospel, the story we love to tell, the story we love to hear. How God changed us. How God converted us. 
and people Paul had never met glorified God. Do you think Paul thought those 17 years were wasted? When Paul writes these words, does Paul look at it and go, not wasted at all? Because what is the end of it all? To God be the glory. No, to God alone be the glory. It's the cry of the Reformation. That's what you're seeing here on the pages. No, I wasn't, I wasn't officially a missionary to the Gentiles yet. No, I know God had that in the plan. That was in the works. That was going to happen. But I was just waiting until God was going to do that. But I'm not sitting there moping about it. I'm not sitting there complaining about it. I'm allowing my life to preach the gospel so that God would be glorified. see, my friends, this is where it comes to you and I. Paul's story is no different than our story. You say, what do you mean by that, Pastor? What I mean by that is this, is that from birth, we too are chosen. We too are set aside to declare His glory. We too are those who throughout our lives, God is preparing all the events even the sin that we involved ourselves in. God is using that. See, how often doesn't Paul come back in his letters and in his preaching to say, I was a persecutor of the church. But God changed me. That's not to Paul's glory. That's to the glory of God. We don't brag about our sin. Paul's not bragging that. He's talking about how God changed his life, how God converted him. And in our conversion, God is glorified. When we were converted from our path of sin to the path of light, when we were converted from the broad way that leads to destruction to the narrow way that leads to life, When we were converted, we suddenly gained the perspective, Lord, all of that for your glory. I'm just an instrument used to glorify you. It's not an excuse for my sin. It's the preparation for my life of glorifying you. That we too hear God's call of the gospel upon our hearts. See, just like Paul, brothers and sisters in Christ, we too have received a missionary call. Go ye into all the world, proclaim the gospel. If you read 1 Corinthians chapter 12, right, the the passage about the the body, how many different ways God calls us into how many different capacities God calls us. Not all to preach from a pulpit. 
some to offer hospitality, some to give gifts of leadership, some to show forth mercy, some to teach. All sorts of means that God calls us to. Why? So that he might be glorified. All sorts of circumstances that, that God calls us into. Why? In order that God might be glorified. Where you work right now is for the glory of God. The job you have right now is for the glory of God. God has brought this about. This isn't haphazard. This isn't chance. You're where you are now for the purpose of living your changed life before the world to proclaim the good news of the gospel of Jesus Christ. And as we live our lives, that verse should come back to us as well. And they glorified God because of me. That's the question we have to be asking ourselves, isn't it? That's quite a statement of Paul, right? Verse 24, and they glorified God because of me. Are there those in your life, are there those that you meet on a regular basis who are glorifying God because of your changed, converted life? Are there those who you have never met and probably never will meet in this world who are glorifying God because of you? I believe the answer to that question is yes, there are. You just gave an offering this morning for the work of missions. There will be people who will be glorifying God because of you. Because of your faithfulness, because of your love, because of your concern. But I hope it reaches deeper than that. I hope it reaches deeper than your wallet. It reaches your heart. So that people see that you've been with Jesus. A changed life for the glory of God. Is that not what is our passion? Is that not what's pulsating within us? See, that's what Paul is it's beating, it's beating, it's beating, it's throbbing. And here come these men who want to rob these people of the message of the gospel. Let them be accursed. Let our lives stand in testimony. Glorious gospel of grace. So that others will indeed glorify God. Because of you. And God's people say.